He's got connections. From actors and athletes to comedians and world-class musicians. Andy Hall. His contact list is jam-packed with some of the most recognizable names in entertainment. Andy Hall's giving Laser Hellraisers his plus one. An exclusive conversation you won't hear anywhere else. On today's edition of Hall Access. Looking forward to a chat with guitar great Steve Vai, who's been a regular guest of mine over the years. And when you're as prolific as Steve, you're always working on new material. So we're blessed to have him on quite frequently. This time around, though, a completely different kind of project, which just saw the light of day for the first time last Friday after over 30 years of collecting dust. Hotline is ringing. It's Andy. Hey, Andy. This is Steve Vai. Steve, awesome to hear from you again. Thanks, as always, for your time, man. My pleasure. Sorry I'm a little late. I got a lot of press this morning. You have no need to apologize, my man. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Good to hear you again. The release of a new album is always exciting, and I imagine that goes both ways between the fans and you, the artist. Vi Gash, a release over 30 years in the making, and it's an incredible story I'd love for you to tell. This one's anything but a typical release for you, Steve. Yeah, yeah, it's not, uh, I mean, my music is pretty diverse. Uh, sometimes it's a little heady, but um, I have rock and roll roots because... Uh, and I, I was a teenager in the 70s, and bands like Led Zeppelin and Queen and Deep Purple, all that really great uh, classic rock stuff was my uh, you know, go-to music for one ear. <laughs> my other ear was listening to some pretty high-information music. But um, I always loved the rock music, and you, I had great opportunities to do that in some of the early rock bands I was in. Uh, but also when I was a teenager, I was very heavily into the motorcycle culture. You know, I was one of these kids that was building mini bikes and motorbikes when I was like 12, 13, 14. Uh, always wanted a Harley. You know, my brother had a Harley and uh, hung out with biker types, but I could never afford one, and I would have to steal his now and then. There were big choppers, you know, and I just loved it. But then, um, you know, music took over, and I, I, I wasn't doing any riding. And uh, finally, when I moved out to California and I could afford it, I bought a Harley. As a matter of fact, I bought seven. Oh, wow. <laughs> a guilty pleasure. But I had a friend that uh, grew up, uh, Johnny Gash Sombrato, and he grew up in Long Island. And he was a tough kind of New York Italian biker, you know, but with this unbelievably golden personality. The, the Gash was just the most interesting guy. He was funny, he was totally unpredictable totally crazy and absolutely lovable, just endearing. Um, and he got the nickname Gash because when he was 21, he was riding his dirt bike along these power lines and he got lost. So he decided to climb one of the electrical towers to see where he was. And while he was up there, the electricity arced and it went through his whole body and he, he was dangling uh, from a cable, and he caught fire, and then wow. he fell 30 feet onto a barbed wire fence. And oh. It was 60% of his body was charred, and he miraculously survived this thing and eventually made his way out to California. And we just started riding together. We had a whole group of people, and we just had the best times. It was just so great. You know, if you ever talk to a motorcycle enthusiast and they try to explain that romance of being in the wind and the freedom, it's really uh, hard to um, 
you know, describe. And we were just doing that and having so much, uh, so many great experiences. And I thought at one point, I want to write a record of music that we can listen to that really checks off the boxes, meaning straight ahead, rock and roll, 70s, 80s style, uplifting, high energy, melodic, simple, just really straight ahead, good rock and roll. My idea of that and the kind of music that you want to listen to when you're in the wind, you know? Sure. So uh, I stopped everything I was doing and I jumped into the studio and like a, a, a stream of consciousness just uh, put the, recorded this record in about a week. I, I found this amazing drummer, Tiffany Smith from Texas. This This girl came up and for three days we recorded 16 hours a day, tons of stuff, and about half of it was the gash music. So then I had this record and I needed vocals and I didn't even know Gash could sing because he didn't, I don't, don't think he knew. He he would sing, but he would like make videos for his dad of these Frank Sinatra songs. Because <laughs> he, he could sound like Sinatra. It's amazing. Wow. But I would hear in his voice something that was uh, had the potential to be really rock and roll. You know, because every now and then you'd, I'd hear him scream or I'd hear him throw out a Zeppelin line. And I'm like, what is that? You know, and I thought, let me get him into the studio because I need a vocalist. And I, and I, I made a, a terrible attempt to sing the songs myself, which was an abysmal disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a rock and roll voice, you know. And I got Gash in the studio, and I got to tell you, I just could not believe what came out of his mouth. I mean, it was rock and roll to the bone. It was totally unpretentious, but totally pretentious, you know. And yeah. it was, he nailed it. it his uh, ownership of what he sang was remarkable and his ability to just pick it up know what it needed and just sing it i was stunned you know because i've worked with so many great singers up to that point and i've recorded many of them you know i mean i was fortunate enough to work with zappa and devin townsend dave roth um, dave coverdale graham bonnet ozzy I mean, everybody, you know? Yes. And I knew when I was recording Gash, he had the goods. Because, the, the, you know, there's a difference between a great singer, somebody that can sing really well, and a rock star. You know, there's like a DNA that rock stars have that they need to, to you know, these singers, they're extroverted. They, gotta, they have to be able to command these uh, audiences of 20,000 people and permeate the the vibe with their ego, you know? Sure. And I've seen that happen. And, I, and it's rare that you find a great singer that also has rock star DNA. Sometimes they got one, but not the other. Um, Gash had both. And I, I'm, I'll go as far as to say, I, I've had so much experience with that. I'm an authority, <laughs> you know? Mm. And I just felt it. And, uh, I re recorded him, and then we had the record, and we listened to it when we were riding, and it, it was great. But then um, I was in the middle of another project, and I had some contractual obligations I had to finish, but I wanted to finish this, this record after I had done this other stuff. and Because uh, I only had eight songs, um, and one of them I wrote with Nikki Six, um, uh, the song New Generation. So I had these eight songs, and by the time I went back to flesh them out with Gash, 
he was tragically killed in a motorcycle accident. Oh, man. Yeah, so I was just so uh, disheartened. I, I just took the whole project and just put it on the shelf for 30 years. And it was only like 20 years ago that I was start, I started to listen to it again. And it all came back, you know, and I, I started to feel that uh, there might be some other people that really enjoy this record, and i got to get it out. And it came out Friday. There we have it. Once you make the decision to shelve something, no matter the circumstances, is it typically in the hopes that one day you'll find time and inspiration to revisit and perhaps continue working on? Or because that snapshot in time is probably long past by that point, do these things tend to stay in that sort of pre-production purgatory for you? Uh, it varies. Occasionally they see the light of day, but sometimes, you know, you do a whole project and for one reason or another, it sits on the shelf. I mean, I'm sitting on a whole Aussie record, hmm. you know, that I recorded with. I can't do anything with it, you know, nor would I. Um, well, I don't know, maybe I would. But uh, <laughs> the, so there's little gems here and there in every artist's uh, vault, probably. But the Gash record was burning a hole in the vault, you know, for years because I just felt I got to get this out. I it's worthy of being out. It's going to be enjoyable for some people you know and i'm a musician that's what i do so is there a creative urge to tinker with anything when it comes to an older recording such as this whether we're talking overdubs redos and another thing i'm curious about that goes with that first part of the question technology is so different now versus like the early 1990s when you would have recorded this does that affect any polishing you may want to do to prepare for a worldwide release like this it's according to the project. So, for instance, I released a record called Modern Primitive, and a lot of that stuff was recorded 30 years ago. But I rebuilt a lot of it. You know, I brought it into the studio. I cleaned it up with contemporary tools. But this Gash record, I, I didn't do anything to. I didn't want to. I didn't want to touch it. Because mm. the, the 62-year-old Vi, you know, has certain feelings, but I didn't want to dilute it. And it was recorded on analog, so it was, and I didn't want to lose that. So the tapes were just on the shelf. I was just listening to rough mixes, and when I came, when it came time to decide to mix it, I, I decided that I wasn't even going. It's the only record of mine in my career that I didn't mix myself. Wow. Yeah, because I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to, uh, the, the older me to get involved, you know. So I had to first bake the tapes. Because when you have analog tapes that are sitting that long, the adhesive on the back starts to com get compromised, and you got to. There's a process, you know. It's certain. I think it's like 130 degrees for four hours or six hours, something like that. And that's all we did. Uh, and then I sent it off to Mike Frazier to mix, and he did a great job. There was one part of the record that I did tweak, and it was in the song "Flowers of Fire." And it was the vocal performance of the first verse. Um, no, no, sorry, the first chorus. Uh, and I, and I, I felt that he sang it better the second time. So I took that little piece and I digitized it, and I copied and pasted that, that one line into the first chorus. Oh, wow. But that's it. Everything else, all the, everything, there's not, nothing else is touched. 
eight tracks total. And while I won't ask you to take us through the entirety of it, there's no time for that, unfortunately. There are a couple of songs that really stuck out that I wanted to ask you about. And as a radio guy, the first is Let's Jam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, sort of my ode to DJs. Love that. <laughs> so that's, you, that's you, brother. Yes, yeah. I know. I loved it. At first listen, yeah. I was like, hey, man, that's me. Well, yeah, because... Uh, I, I, I gave a lot of flashbacks in my mind to my youth when I was, you know, in my teen years. And back then in the 70s, I, you know, the role of DJs has changed quite a bit over the last 40 years. And luckily, we got guys like you and, and a lot of the folks that I've been talking to that do have a personality and they create an atmosphere when you go to the station. Back then, it, it may have even been more so because the... DJs had more control over the playlists, so they would completely build their own playlists, so their personalities were imbued in the kind of music that they played. And, I mean, I remember Wolfman Jack, <laughs> you know? He was one of the guys I listened to all the time, and you just knew, no matter what you were going through in your life, you can go to that station, that guy, and they were the kings of the airwaves, and they were friends, you know? They felt like friends. So I wanted to write a song as an ode to some of our favorite people, the radio DJ. Yeah, we are a blessed bunch, Steve. No question yeah. about it. Yeah. Who's going to be responsible for all the speeding tickets that Vi Gash might inspire going forward? That's my question. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's a little caption on the record where it uh, makes me unliable. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Hey, real quick, let's talk about John's vocal style before we go. It, yeah. You know, you alluded to it a bit ago. It's a perfect fit for what you were going for sonically, which I know came as a bit of a surprise to you. This may be an impossible theoretical, but I do wonder, considering how well this batch of songs would eventually turn out, would it have been possible you might have employed him more on future albums of yours, or was this a true one-off? Oh, no. I mean, he was untapped. When I tell you that he laid that stuff out, so quickly, I knew that because, you know, my, my normal musical aspirations are a little more eclectic, a little more, uh, you know, high information. Uh, not, uh, not this record, not the Gash record, but he would have, oh my, I would have been able to take him into some real interesting levels. And, and I think he would have gone there. You know, he had that spirit. Um, but we got what we got, and that's it. <laughs> it's a really great album, Steve, and you, I cannot wait to get the vinyl copy, which, by the way, is coming February 24th, because I'm still, I'm one of those guys that, you know, I can listen to songs digitally, I can listen to even a CD, but just, there's just something about putting that needle down on vinyl and, and hearing it through a great set of vintage speakers like I have. Oh, it, there certainly is, and I took great cares to make that process uh, as authentic as possible. If we came from analog master tapes, it was mixed to analog two inch, I mean, analog two track. And then I actually had Bernie Grumman ma uh, master it. He's the greatest vinyl mastering engineer in the world. And, and many people would agree with that. He, uh, did that and it's all A to A to A. So when you put that record on, it's authentically analog. Well, pardon the dad joke here, but that's music to my ears, Steve. <laughs> Vi Gash, available now. The vinyl, as I said, is coming February 24th. Um, like always, Steve, it's a pleasure to have you. I really appreciate your time. And this is, like I said, it's such a great album, a great listen. Oh, thank you so much, Andy. You rock. 
Thank you, my we'll man. See you next time. Let's All do right. it again, man. You got it. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.